0: Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the PG show where, well, we talk about all things college football. I know a lot of you guys are hopping in my Twitter mentions about the Colorado content, the Florida Gators. But hey, listen, we're here to talk about all of the teams. And today we're going to talk about Arizona State, Colorado, Oklahoma, and many others. And today I am joined by Jay with Unfair Sports. How are you doing today? What's going on,
1: PG? Love joining the show as usual. I appreciate you bringing me on the live stream. What's going on, all the peoples?
0: All right. Well, uh, it's the end of the year for me at work. It's a Friday, five o'clock, so I'm not going to lie. I'm a little worn out, but I'm excited to talk some college football, and there's a lot of off-season drama is what I'm calling it today, and I think I want to start off with the big news. So, Jaden Rashada committed to Arizona State uh, on National Signing Day and one of the top QB recruits in the 2023 class. And in my opinion, I had Jaden Rashada actually in my top 5 quarterbacks in the 2023 mm-hmm. class. I thought he had that much upside. I thought he was good. Uh this is a quarterback that, you know, uh Jeff Lebby in Oklahoma were even looking at before Jackson Arnold. It just happened that Jackson Arnold beat him to the race. So Kenny Dillingham, he got himself a pretty good future quarterback here. And this is kind of where I'm going with this. So track with me here. Uh, Kenny Dillingham in Arizona State. Uh, People don't realize how rich of a state Arizona is in terms of talent. For those of you who don't remember, in 2019, Spencer Rattler came out of Arizona. And Spencer Rattler was one of the uh, most highly recruited quarterbacks in that class. Since then... In 2020, this is where I'm going to start. In 2020, they had 11 players ranked in the top 500 per the 247 composite. Arizona State got zero of those players. You had five-star quarterback Keely Ringo, five-star running back uh, Bijan Robinson, if that one rings a bell to any of you guys. And then you had uh, some other four-star quarterbacks, or uh, one of them was Chuba Purdy at the quarterback position. And then in 2021... There were only seven in the top 500. But again, a common theme we're starting to see, Arizona State was not able to land any of those commitments. One of the biggest ones out of the state that year, four-star quarterback Ty Thompson. And then in 2022, again, another seven in the top 500, zero were taken by Arizona State. In 2023, you have 10 in the top 500, one of those being five-star tight end Deuce Robinson. Again, zero so far have been taken by Arizona State, and I don't likely think that Arizona State and Kenny Dillingham land Deuce Robinson pretty much this late in the cycle because we're done with 2023. Deuce Robinson is one of the very few recruits that has not signed yet, and it looks like it's going to be maybe down between USC, Texas, and Georgia. But in 2024... Arizona State has an opportunity to redeem themselves cuz you have two of the top players in the country, the number 1 overall quarterback and Dylan Raiola and the number 3 overall edge rusher and Elijah rushing. And so when I look at this commitment for Jaden Rashada to Arizona State, this is bigger than just getting yourself a quarterback for 2024, 2025 and maybe even beyond. This is an opportunity to create and drum up excitement around this program. And yeah, you have Drew Pine to kind of be that buffer this year to give Jaden Rashad a time to build weight and develop a little bit more. But I think Arizona is, they've got the staff and they have positioned themselves to potentially go out there and try to lock down their state and talent, which is what Oklahoma is doing here. What's your thoughts around this one, Jay? Because I, I I found this whole Arizona State thing uh, pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, it was, I had some intrigue when it came to Arizona State getting Rashada, mainly around um, Hall being able to pull this off. Like you said, Rashada is a very good talent. He was one of your top players as far as quarterbacks, top five quarterbacks that you had on your list. And, I mean, I can't argue with you. Dude's talented. I think he's going to be potentially something special. One of the things, though, that I really think about when it comes to him and just the entire scenario around him going to Arizona State is Kenny's going to be doing – Coach Dillingham's going to do some special stuff there, uh, hopefully. Now, we thought Herm Edwards was going to as well, former NFL guy. He was able to bring in some some recruits or whatnot. But the one thing he couldn't do that it seems like nobody can do at Arizona is keep in-state talent in-state. Their top guy in state is Deuce Robinson. He's not even considering the in-state schools. Um, And that's been like a tradition for like, the go look at classes the last 10 years. They never go to those two in-state schools. And it's baffling because no one can explain why. Even in the times I remember when Mike Stoops was out there um in the early 2000s, they, there was a struggle to keep in state talent. It's just it's just that the Arizona kids don't stay in Arizona. And I'm curious as to why. But hopefully Dillingham can figure out how to flip that and bring them in. But it is wild that they can't do it. So the fact that they were able to pull him from Cali and get him and get a Rashada there, I mean that's a big move. And we the, the biggest thing is is gonna be what does the product look like on the field? Can Dillingham bring them to prominence in the Pac-12 first and then something better? Because no one has truly been able to make Arizona State uh, a potential power whatsoever. They can make them competitive, but the question is, is the school okay with them just being competitive? That's going to be like a long-term question. So very intriguing, but I want to see if he's able to uh, keep the cycle going.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of one of the things here. You know, uh, they got Rashad Samples, which I think a lot of people outside of the Kenny Dillingham hire for head coaching, we thought that Rashad Samples was one of the best hires of the off season for Arizona State, and it brings a lot of uh, overview to the Dallas area, just in the state of Texas in general. But I just don't think Arizona State is going to be successful. Uh, on the recruiting trail if they can't even get the guys or at least be in conversations in their own state. I was actually uh, just looking deeper into the classes earlier today outside of the top 500, Mm -hmm. and you would see Arizona State landing guys that really weren't ranked in composite rankings. Uh, It was Arizona that was actually, of all schools, landing some of the top talent in the state of Arizona. And Arizona hasn't been very good. So maybe they can put this Herm Edwards stuff behind them. I'm not Quite sure what these penalties are going to look like from the NCAA uh, on this program if they give any to them. Uh, I don't, in my personal opinion, Herm Edwards isn't there. So why punish the new coaching staff in this program uh, since the previous administration is no longer there? But that's just my opinion. The NCAA does Mm -hmm. what they want to. But I think it looks like from the outside looking in, Arizona State's going the right way. But I mean, I just don't know because, I mean, you're in the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is being diminished because you're not going to have USC and UCLA. So it's going to be, out of the Power Five conferences, probably the uh, least important, uh, uh, most looked down upon. And I I don't know if uh, Arizona State's going to be able to build a name for themselves unless they can land guys in their own state like Dylan Raiola and Elijah Rushing and even some of the future guys in 2025 and 2026.
1: Yeah, and I'm kind of curious to what what Dillingham's going to do against Judd uh, Fish. That's, that's, that's the big question, you know, the coach over there at Arizona. He was able to do, you know, some miraculous things at Arizona, went from his first year 1-11 and 11, to 5-7 and seven his second year. So it looks like he has an upward trajectory, and that's something Dillingham's going to have to, I guess you could say, you know, compete with. He's going to have to see if year one, after the sanctions and everything comes down from whatever the hell Herm Edwards and his staff did, once those all come down, Will he be able to overcome that year two? Because year one's wash. I'm just going to be keeping honest, keeping a buck. They're not. There's not much they're going to do once those sanctions come down. It's going to probably potentially be a bad year. They may end up being one eleven. Hell, they may not win a single game. Um, I hope they do. They should have at least one cupcake on their schedule to win. But there's a chance that they may not win a single game outside of a potential cupcake this year then year two is going to be the question of what he looks like, what that change is going to be. It's kind of like what Coach Prime up there in Colorado. We're really more intrigued about next season than we really are this year because this year we know they're coming from 1-11. They're going to improve. I mean, they've got to win more than one game. So anything that he wins after one is gravy because that means they've made an improvement. But year two in staff, you'll have at least one class under your belt working on your second class under your belt. And because this one – is quote-unquote piecemeal that Coach Prime as well as Dillingham is doing at Arizona State. You come in late late December and you're going in, you're finally in homes. And instead of you being home in one shirt for one school, you're taking it off and you're putting the other shirt on. Now you're going into you re you're doing the same pitch, but you're doing it to a different location. Hey, instead of you coming to Jackson state, come to Colorado. Hey, instead of you coming to Oregon with all these beautiful jerseys, come to Arizona state where we're going to figure out how to get some beautiful jerseys like that, but we're going to, you know, play good football though. So you've got to go in there with that entire, uh, sales pitch, and it's a piecemeal, it, it really is. I mean, Rashada was a great steal for him after the whole situation with Florida and that fiasco, but he's he's gonna, it's a piecemeal class. The next, this whole cycle here will really tell us the most about what he's gonna be able to do with that school. This next class is gonna be critical. He's gonna have to get a top 50 class, um, or probably top 40 this time around, because I think he's at what, 36 for Arizona State this year? Um, I know that uh, Arizona is not doing very well. Let me go look at this. 36 on the uh, 24-7 composite. I'm sorry, overall 36 because that includes transfers. 47 composite. He's going to have to get a top 40 composite ranking if he wants to really make an impact on in that Pac-12. And overall ranking, he's got to get that up in the, in the top 20s. Um, that's going to include transfers.
0: But he did good with transfers, though. I will say that. Uh, they, they did. They're number talent. 10 overall right now. And I think they took what, <clears throat> yeah. 20-something guys? Uh,
1: 26. They brought in 26 commits. They brought in more than Colorado. And Colorado brought in 24. and They were bringing in everybody. But he brought in 26, which is pretty darn good.
0: Yeah, yeah. Number 10 overall uh, behind teams like Oklahoma, UCLA, Colorado. and Indiana, um, yeah. Man, I'm yeah, good. no. That's
1: what you want. That's what you want.
0: And they got Drew Pine, so they definitely have a quarterback that's comparable this year to be able to go out or uh, competent enough to be able to go out there and do something. I just. <laughs> I don't know. We we saw what Oklahoma was able to do with all those transfers this year. I, I'm not sure Arizona State is going to be able to translate that because it's not like Kenny Dillingham brought a bunch, of, a bunch of guys from Oregon, at least from Colorado. Deion Sanders brought a bunch of his Jackson State guys, and the offense they're running out there is fairly similar. These guys out there at Arizona State, it's, they're just going to have to learn an all-new system. They've got yeah. to be able to develop chemistry together. I think you're right. They probably win one or two games. It's not very many. I think a lot of people point to that Colorado game as a game for Arizona State to win. That probably is a must win for Arizona State. I think Colorado comes out victorious in that matchup. But if you're Arizona State, you have to go into that game saying, listen, they're not much better than us in terms of on field, what they have returning, first year head coach. We should be able to go in there and get that win. And um, I think that's what they're looking at.
1: Yeah, yeah, Watson just met, mentioned in, in the comment section. is going to be interesting. They do play Oklahoma State. Can they win that game? If they win that game, bruh. <laughs> they almost beat
0: Oklahoma State last year.
1: My point. There's a chance. I mean, and I'm glad you reminded me. I forgot that Pine did transfer there. So he's got competence at the quarterback position. The question is, is can everything come together, which I think he can. If you've got competence throwing the ball, you can do enough to win enough games to – Keep the motivation going, I guess you could say. Arizona State doesn't expect them to be successful year one because they understand that they're getting ready for those sanctions and all the stuff that went down with uh, uh, Herm-, Herm Edwards or whatnot. So, I mean, there's a chance they they may actually actually outdo my thoughts. You know, three and nine was what I was thinking too, Hank, is that's probably about the best uh, in my mind, especially, like I said, piecemeal class and then all the changes. But bringing in that, that top 10 ranked uh, transfer class, 26 kids, I mean, there's a good chance that you could flip that around and actually make it to a bowl game. That That is bowl possibilities if Dillingham and his staff puts together a really good game plan and they go out there and win some games. Um, their schedule isn't brutal
0: this year. No. I mean, I, 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 Arizona is one of those teams I feel like you should be able to beat. Arizona had a decent year last year, but Arizona's not very good. So they shouldn't – I mean, that's a game that they should be able to win, and it's a rivalry game for them. So that would be big just in terms of in-state recruiting, which is kind of where we started with all of this. I mean,
1: you know, like I said, Judd Fish took his team from 1-11 to 5-7. and So he, he's, he's building something too. So, you know, you got to in-state – that looks like coming from a former NFL coach looks like he's actually trying to do some stuff. I don't know what special stuff he can do out there. I mean, it's Arizona, Arizona state. They, you know, for years have been, you know, uh, a roller coaster ride in general, but at the same time, if you can do it right. So, I mean, they got Southern Utah, so that better be a win. And then Oklahoma state coming to them. There's a chance that they could win out there in Tempe and then uh Fresno state, which I'm, I'd be terrified if I was them. So, They've got some winnable games. We'll see what they look like in conference, though. I think that that's going to tell us to be the telltale story of what they look like long term because in conference, it's probably going to get tough. This schedule is not easy at all.
0: Yikes. So, Alabama, their offensive coordinator search is over, which thank God. Gosh, we don't have to hear any more Lebby rumors here in Oklahoma. Uh, Sooner fans should feel happy on that part. But they got Tommy Reese, the uh, actually a former quarterback for Notre Dame, and ended up being the offensive coordinator there. So a little bit of backstory. Uh, he came out of the class of 2010. Uh, he played at Notre Dame for some time, ended up going undrafted to the Washington Redskins, was on their practice squad only. Uh, But then became a graduate assistant at Northwestern in 2015. Uh, Went to be an offensive assistant at the San Diego Chargers. That is so weird to say. Uh, San San Diego Diego Chargers in
1: 2016. Went to go be a quarterback coach in uh, 2017
0: (laughs) through 2019 for Notre Dame. And then ultimately became the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach in 2020 through 2022. And his offenses weren't terrible. And I think you talked about it. Uh, the best quarterback that he maybe worked with was Ian Book. Now, Notre Dame has not been known for their quarterbacks. Uh, they have one in 2024 that I think they're really excited for in CJ Carr. But uh, that actually is interesting because I think Alabama has now positioned themselves to maybe go out there and get a five-star quarterback for 2024. And maybe if Drew Pine doesn't work out at Arizona State, and they need a tenured quarterback uh Drew Pine could potentially enter the portal after the spring and say, hey, take me to Alabama. I'll be your tenured quarterback there. So this yeah. uh, this intrigues me a little bit because I don't know a lot about Tommy Reese, but I know that when I watch a Notre Dame game, I don't see them just blowing the doors off people uh, on the offensive side of the ball. This year, they only averaged 31.8 points per game, and on the offense, they only average 396 yards a game. Now, with Alabama, you're taking a huge step up in talent. I mean, I I, I don't think that should be understated. Huge step up from Notre Dame. You're getting five-star wide receivers, five-star running backs, quarterbacks, offensive linemen. He should be able to do something with that. I feel like I could go out there with my left pinky and quote or uh, coach the Alabama offense, but <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that, that's a story for a whole nother day. What's your thoughts here around the Alabama hire of Tommy Reese as their offensive coordinator?
1: So first off, you know, I dropped a video in regards to Lebby not going there. And I made the point of it's a lateral move for him to go there. Now, there's other factors that could make it not a lateral move. So I'll keep it a buck and say, yeah, I totally get if those other factors came in for him to go there. But I, that was kind of one of the big things was Lebby's not going to leave his alma mater to go coach as an OC at another school when he passed up on head coaching jobs, um, in G five, and he potentially passed up an opportunity to go to the NFL. I'm not going to say where, uh, but I've had a few sources tell me, and it wasn't one, it was multiple that said, Hey, we heard that he's in, inter- he, that he was reached out to the interview for an OC job in the NFL and he passed on it. And so if that's the case, there's no reason for Levy to go, uh, to, um, to go to Alabama and take that job. And so I knew that that didn't make sense. It just didn't make sense for for him to leave his alma mater to go there. And so now with Alabama picking up Tommy Reese, that kind of made sense. What shocked me about it is, is, is I'll t- say th- two things on it. First off, Reese was his first job time as offensive coordinator. He was the OC for that Notre Dame team that got destroyed by Alabama in the college football playoffs. So he's, he's helped a quarterback lead the team to a playoff berth and he's really creative like i was talking to our boy ty hayes over at, uh, around the table sports uh alabama fan great content you should check him out as well he was talking about how the one thing that jumped out to him the most was the creativity from the quarterback from uh from reese creativity in the offensive sets one of the things they didn't see at alabama and so i knew why alabama targeted Levy's because he gave them uh a a glimpse of creativity that they, were, they didn't have the last couple of years with the quarter with a OC like Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien's an NFL guy, so he's thinking everybody's an NFL player, and he's coaching them like they're NFL players, and it doesn't work that way. Guys have to develop over time into the mindset of what you do in the NFL or be taught once they show they have the talent at that level. You, It's not something that you just walk in and do. And so because of that, Bill O'Brien wasn't calling – he, he wasn't calling plays to leverage the talent discrepancy on the field. That's really what the problem was. And if you hear Ty talk about it, he's talked about it numerous times on his channel, talk about those six-yard curls. Yeah, if, you, if you see it, if it looks like this, if the backing off, run a six-yard curl. No, don't do that. Uh, so for the most part, that's where I saw the levy interest, and it made sense. You go after what you like. You go after a player that looks good. And uh buddy of mine, Jason Walker, made mention of this, not to be too long-winded on this, but I think this was fascinating. He was talking about how he felt like Nick Saban was targeting Oklahoma on purpose, because not because he's afraid, but he would like to keep them crippled so they don't become a problem. And he makes great points with that because of twofold. One, Lebby was the OC at Ole Miss and they did give his defense some problems. Lane Kiffin understands Saban. Lebby understands Saban from working in proxy. They understand him. The second thing is, is Brent Venables won new two national championships with his defense against Alabama, some of the really good Alabama teams. So because of that, you're dealing with two guys that have an ability to compete against you at the highest level, especially once they get the talent to go with it. So it makes sense to go after that coach if you can prevent them from become, you know, rising too much, rising too fast. And so that last thing with that is, is that it shows you the respect that Levy has around the country. Like if Nick Saban wants you, Sooner fans should be happy what we got. Not saying the man's perfect. We all got our criticism of him as OC, but overall, he's done a fantastic job keeping us the top fifteen offense. Not something you get very often. So because of that, we should appreciate what we got and let uh let me go out there and do his thing on the uh, offensive side. We we're we're gonna we're gonna we got some great recruits coming in. Next season's gonna be ridiculously fun. So makes sense for him to go after Tommy Reese, and it still shocks me that he picked. Alabama over LSU when Brian Kelly tried to bring in from the beginning. He's like, nah, I'm going to stay. I guess he kind of saw the writings on the wall because they ain't had no quarterback in a couple years.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting how you talked about uh, Levy being able to keep OU as a top 15 offense. I, I think it's important for Oklahoma fans to understand when Lincoln Riley left us, apparently this program was supposed to die, crash and burn. Our offense was going to fall through a hole. Uh, Levy had us at number 13, and I believe that with Nick Saban being able to go out there and throw Jeff Levy's name in the hat for the potential offensive coordinator role at Alabama, you want to use that on the recruiting trail because if the best coach of all time wants you on his staff, uh, yeah, I'm using that at every meeting, every meeting that I go to. I'm making a
1: lapel. There. I'm going to put a lapel right here that says uh, Nick Saban recruited
0: me. Yeah. That, <laughs> Nick uh, yeah, Saban that interviewed me or something. I an award
1: but you're not wrong i mean yeah that, that's, that's a badge of honor that means that you're respected because saban doesn't try to go after everybody he, he's pretty meticulous about who he hires uh i'm really surprised that, that the only thing that surprises me about the retire is that there are so many coaches that have lost their jobs that are really good at offense that he didn't go after i'm surprised dan mullen didn't end up on the list i'm surprised scott frost isn't there right now they might frost might be an analyst right now I'm just surprised that we're not hearing about him there as well. You would think that with the success he's had with former head coaches with really good systems that have come in, I'm surprised that he did not go after him completely.
0: Yeah, I kind of wonder how long the Tommy Reese thing is going to last because uh, if Cliff Kingsbury ever comes back from the Netherlands or wherever he's at, uh, I would bet you my bottom dollar – that Nick Saban's picking up that phone and calling Cliff Kingsbury to come be an analyst or come be something on his staff. Uh, And honestly, that was the one that I thought maybe should have happened in the first place. But you had heard rumors of Garrett Riley, which ultimately he ends up at Clemson. uh, Which is crazy to me. That I thought that maybe they should have tested the waters on, and I don't know if they did or not. This would be interesting to ask Ty, is Jeff Scott. And I know he's now back at Clemson, but Jeff Scott was an enormous, just an extremely good recruiter during his time at Clemson. Ultimately became the head coach at USF and then got fired. But if you look at Clemson, uh, their offense was prolific while Jeff Scott was there. As soon as he left, that Clemson offense really just took a nosedive and it just wasn't good anymore. And so that's kind of the direction that I thought Nick Saban should have went, but we'll see how this Tommy Reese stuff lines out because I could be completely wrong. And Nick Saban could uh, show me Fair. up and show me. I know nothing about college football.
1: Yeah. You know, and, and I, like I said, Saban does what he does for a reason. He's very meticulous about it. So, We'll see how it turns out. I'm stoked to see what they look like next season, um, especially since, you know, we'll talk about a little bit later when uh, about the SEC news.
0: So Colorado misses on a 2024 five-star, and we don't have to stay on this one too long because I definitely want to get into a, a class recap for Colorado. But I think it's important to talk about because I don't want Colorado fans to panic And it's they lose out on the five-star cornerback, Ellis Robinson, to Georgia. And I have said this, and I'm going to continue to say this all year long. Colorado fans and Oklahoma fans, you can listen to this too because I think it's the same. You are going to be in contention for really good five-star recruits throughout the 2024 and 2025 cycles. I think... Players are going to commit to the Georgias and the Bamas and Texas and all these places to secure their spot on those teams because those teams are only going to take a limited number of players at that position, and they can pretty much have the pick of the litter. They can take whoever they want, so it's pretty much a first-come, first-serve, and they want to secure their spot there. Now, later on in the season, as Colorado progresses and you potentially see the development on the field, maybe Travis Hunter balls out, you're starting to hear he can be a first-round draft pick, maybe even a top-10 draft pick. Uh, You're going to start to maybe see players reconsider their place that they're at and start to look at Colorado as a real destination that maybe they can flip their commitment to. So I think for Colorado fans, you're going to see a huge maybe even November and December with flips before early National Signing Day as you start to see this team put out a product on the field that shows recruits that they want to be there.
1: you have any thoughts around this, Jay? Oh, no, you're spot on. That's, that's probably the best thing you could possibly say is that when they start putting the product on the field and people start seeing it, seeing the hype and believing in the hype, and the hype actually comes to fruition – bruh, there's a good chance that, you know, you're going to see some of these kids flip. They're going to want to be a part of that. And Coach Prime's brand, the way that he he does it, his son, with well-off media, Deion Sanders Jr. has been doing well-off media for a long time. He's doing that for years. I followed him on Twitter or whatnot a long time ago. He's been making the, the shirts and stuff for his dad, the goat shirts or whatnot. He hand makes them, all that jazz. Not to advertise, but more so. The point is, they've been doing this media and building this stuff up for a while, and then they recognize that, you know what? Kids are into that. Kids are into YouTube. Kids are into making YouTube channels. Kids are into content creation. A lot of them want to get onto that. So guess what? Let's go ahead and appease them. I got a young son. You do that. Do that part. Just don't interfere with my, me and my coaching. Let's see what happens. And guess what? It's appealing to the kids. It's appealing to the players. They're looking at this like, man, that's kind of cool. That's fun. That's edgy. I like that. I mean, we laugh at Bill O'Brien and him being on the TikTok. Uh, I mean, sorry, Bill Ke- uh, Brian Kelly on the TikTok dancing or whatnot with the player looking all weird. Having fun with kids, you kind of do that, and, I'm, it's, and think about you know Brian Kelly's old, so being as a grandparent and he probably is, he's probably doing goofy stuff with his grandkids all the time too. So, but doing that with them, it gets some of these kids attention. It shows that you 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 you're you have a personality. I mean, the best story not to go too far into Nick Saban uh, again, but um, is the players talk about the stuff that Saban does at practice, like how personable he is with them, like he he's infamous for one set of jokes. I'm not going to go too deep into it right now, but some players laugh about like, yeah, man, you know, I taught him that and never since then, man, he gets us every time. So you want that. And so coach prime and him are doing that, losing out on this, this prospect. I mean, you know, it kind of sucks, but as it was mentioned in the comments, there's a very good chance that player flips possibly. We'll see. We're early in 24. Honestly, the only players that I truly see that commit today that will most likely stick are really your quarterbacks because they're the ones that really make their decision and are like all right, time we start recruiting other players to come with me and they focus on everything there. Everybody else to me feels like fair game. Uh now uh, now if your OC's leaving uh or the head coach, the coach that's uh leaving that's recruiting that player, you may have a problem, but for the most part, most of these kids are just fall they're they're the quarterback will fall in line. The re- the the big commitments and the big big recruiting push will be this summer. That's like, I remember we did that this past summer. We were like, that's when I really started growing. My channel was hardcore because we was getting recruits nonstop. And I was like, boom, I'm watching film. I'm checking them out, making stuff. I'm like, man, they're really, we getting some, some legit monsters out here. And so expect that from Colorado as well. You'll see that with Oklahoma too. Most, they don't, we don't recruit too early. um, As in, we don't ask for a commitment too early. Take your time, kids. Enjoy your, because this is the only time you're going to get really recruited unless you transfer, and you don't want to be in the transfer portal because that means that you didn't work out where you went.
0: Yeah, and uh, I like what you said about how, you know, the summer might be it for Colorado as they potentially host a big event. You see that with Oklahoma. They host something called the Champion Barbecue, which I heard Tebow stole that and is now doing that at USC. Uh, So that one kind of intrigues me a little bit on why in the world he'd be wanting to take his – nasty barbecue out there but yeah i i think colorado fans uh i think you guys are gonna be just fine uh remember you guys have the recruiter of the year in charles kelly on your staff and then you have Dope. nick williams for your defensive line you have tim brewster who has gotten guys like jalen ramsey uh you have dalvin cook on his resume uh, and many others so tim brewster he knows how to go out there and recruit. And then, of course, you got Coach Prime at the helm. If for some reason those guys just need a little bit of extra help, uh, Deion Sanders will be able to come it's, in there and take care of business. just,
1: you know, it's just Coach Prime, you know.
0: It's, yeah, you it's, know, it's no big deal. Big it's deal. just <laughs> no big person in particular.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: But I do want to talk about this 2023 class a little bit. Uh, a little bit about what they took on the recruiting trail and actually what they have out of the transfer portal. Cause I think outside of the Jackson state players that they just took, I think they got probably the biggest commitment of this cycle. And it was Des Moines Kennedy from Alabama. He was a top 40 player in the country in the class of 2020. And he's a 6'3", 215-pound linebacker. Uh, This is a position of need for the Colorado Buffaloes, like, like a tremendous need. I think they're still going to have to go take players after the spring. But this is a good start. This is a really good start. And, you know, with Alabama and Georgia, you know, there's so much talent there that, you know, you'll know you see four- and five-star guys at the portal because maybe they just weren't that good enough to beat out the top ten guy that might be at the starting position there. So I really like what they got in Des Moines-Kennedy. Obviously, mm-hmm. we can talk about all of the Jackson State players that they got. I really like the addition of Jordan Dominic because that man knows how to get to the quarterback. He knows how to uh, go out there and lead a defensive line. They got Kavase Smoke and Miles Slusher. Kavase plays at the running back position. He had a pretty good career at Kentucky. I know he had some injuries on and off, but that's a good addition for him there. And then you've got Miles Slusher at Arkansas, or from Arkansas. This guy is from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. I know a guy that Sooner fans really wanted on their team. Uh, I really like what Coach Prime has been able to piece together through the transfer portal because he's doing – in his first year, what Brent Venables couldn't do in his first year at OU because Coach Prime got there a week or two at the right time because he's able to take best fit from the portal, not necessarily best available. If you remember, Brent Venables came in pretty late. The portal was already open. We were kind of running up to the deadline there, and so he had to take what was best available. And so I really think this Colorado team, based off what they took, out of the recruiting trail and what they took out of the transfer portal, uh, they could probably put up a six or seven win team uh, next season. I, I I fully would put my life savings on that. Like, I, I think they could be that good. I think their schedule is that favorable. What's your thoughts here around this 2023 class, uh, whether it was on the recruiting trail or uh, just on the transfer portal side? Yeah,
1: Look at, I was impressed at what Coach Primes had to put together. Of course, Cor-Mani McClain was McClain was one player to get snatched up out of there. They got a couple of players out of Oklahoma in uh, Taji McCoy and uh, Morgan Pearson. They got them both out of one from Ardmore, one from Oklahoma City. Uh, three stars to be able to come out there and, you know, adding more Oklahoma, former Oklahoma players like Miles Slusher from the Transfer Portal who played at Arkansas and Sooner fans did want Taylor Upshaw one big one to me that they got from Michigan. He played behind a lot of big boys there at Michigan, and I know he learned something. And he was a decent contributor, but there was just so many great players on that defensive line for Michigan that he just could not crack it. And so bringing him him, him here with like Jordan Dominic and the opportunity for them to like start immediately, th- the team's gonna look completely different. And I think the one that really jumps out to me the most though on this class that I really loved was Cedu Treore. Uh from Arkansas State. Now, you may be saying, Arkansas State, what are you talking about? Blah, blah, blah. 6'4, 210. I think he's a lot bigger than that. I think they have him listed at 2'10. I think yeah. he's more 240, 250, but he's fast. And he's pretty freakish in his ability to catch at tight end. Like you could put him in a slot and he'd be monstrous. That was probably to me the biggest steal that he got out of the uh, transfer portal, because that, that's gonna be a that's gonna be a solid player. That's gonna be one of those players that it's going to jump off the screen when he's competing and when he's playing. You're going to be like, oh, man, that's a pretty good player. And then that gives Shadura Sanders some another target that he can immediately throw to out there in the field. And that's going to be the key thing is what is it going to look like with the Sean Lewis offense that's high octane, nonstop, boom, 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 having say Traore, having uh, Jimmy Hunt, uh, Horn Jr. from uh, South Florida who put up some pretty good production as well. What is it going to look like when you get into that pace, 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 pace? Um, I'm interested to see how they get there, but but it, overall, they did a really good job piecing this this class together. I think they got what, like 46 kids total. Um, they've got a a, a composite had a fifth ranked uh, transfer class, thirtieth in the composite, and so a 21 overall rank on um, on 24 seven, which that's pretty darn good. If you're able to bring in that many total commits your first year, 43 total commits, that's huge. And so he'd be able to switch this around just like Mel Tucker did when he was at Michigan state his first year. He took a whole bunch of transfers, Kenneth Walker, which was fascinating. Kenneth Walker leads Wake Forest and Wake Forest has a better season, but I digress on that. He could probably pull a Mel Tucker and bring that team up to a bowl game. I'm thinking they're going bowling. I'm saying seven and five, uh, Great. They go in, they go bowling and that's going to be the momentum leading into the 24 class. And so Colorado's going to be a force out there in the PAC 12, especially when the big boys leave in UCLA and USC. Um, they, they have a potential chance of owning it. And if they own it properly, they can keep coach prime around for some years. Like all you got to do is start winning and bring in money. You ain't going to lose them.
0: Yeah. uh, I actually talked about the breakdown of the uh schedule for Colorado in 2023. And I, dude, it's, I really think it's favorable because their first game is at TCU. And I don't think anybody really knows what TCU is going to be. I don't even think TCU knows who they're going to be next year because they lost a lot. And I know they've got Chandler Morris coming back, the guy who originally won that starting quarterback position at TCU. But I think it was clear Chandler Morris was not the best quarterback in that room and probably should not have been the starter. And so I look at that game. I look at the Nebraska, the Colorado State game. Those are their first three games of the season. Those are very winnable games for Colorado that mm-hmm. I think that they could be very slight favorites in. That could put them at 3-0 and to start the season. Imagine the hype around Colorado going to Eugene, Oregon at 3-0. Now, unfortunately, Ooh. your next two games are at Oregon and then USC at home. I think they dropped both of those. But you can get right back on the winning trail at Arizona State and Stanford. That puts you at 5-2. and two. Additionally, you're going to have at UCLA, What's the what are they going to be? They just lost their seven-year starting quarterback, and they got a f- true freshman coming in. Oh, I, I think Chip transfer, would be fine. But
1: they're going to be a problem. Chip's going to be fine. <laughs> I don't know.
0: I, I, I see that as a potential toss-up game for Colorado. You could literally put that as a 50-50 game for Colorado. Fair. Because they're not going to have Charbonnet. I, they're not going to have Charbonnet. And then you have Oregon State. Is Oregon State going to be really good with DJU? I don't know. I know they had a good defense last year. Uh, but let's say they lose that game. you got Arizona. That puts you at 6-3. and three. Washington State. They should win that one that puts you at seven and three. Uh, You're going to lose to Utah. So really, you look at that UCLA game that could potentially put them at eight wins this season, eight wins. Like I, I, I look at it and go, this, The schedule is very favorable for them to go out there and do something in the first year and really make a name for themselves. But, you know, I, I don't know. I, I might digress because that, I mean, I might be in over my head I don't know what Mm y'all's thoughts are. I dropped,
1: I dropped and broke down the schedule, and that's that was my thoughts. That's who I that – I'm seeing seven and five. Um, I need to put one together for Oklahoma, but I'm kind of wanting to wait until to close to the spring game. I don't want to give an instant reaction on uh, a record yet. I, I'd rather think this one thoroughly again like I did last year and probably drop it in the summer when we really see the second round of the transfer portal and who comes in, who decides to go, who loses their job and decides to transfer. Um that 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 makes the most sense. But, yeah, I mean, overall, they did a really good job on this class, man. Shout out to uh, Coach Prime. They they walked in and did what they were going to do.
0: <laughs> Hank actually asked a pretty interesting question here in the chat. He said, do you feel good about a Grinch speed D stopping Colorado? It's a you know, fascinating thought. It is a fascinating thought. I do think Grinch's defense would be fast enough to keep up with Colorado. But the problem is they have to play that game at Folsom Field this year. And that Sean Lewis offense is going to make any defense run up and down that field. And remember, there is such thing called elevation sickness because your body, the human body, if you're not playing at that elevation or at a similar elevation week in and week out, you got to have time to adjust. So USC might have to get to Colorado, you know, three or four days early to try to helpfully get some of their athletes bodies to adjust to that elevation change. But even then that might not be enough, especially in the Sean Lewis offense. that's going to make them run up and down the field. It's an interesting question. And I definitely think if Colorado only has one loss by that point, you could for sure probably see game day at Folsom field for that USC game.
1: Oh yeah. They're going to get a lot of attention on that game, especially depending on how USC does. It's, it's going to be interesting, Hank. And that is a very good question. What is the speed D going to look like in that altitude? Are they going to be ready for it? Are they going to be are they are they going to be prepared for it? That's really the biggest thing. Are you going to be prepared to play your speed defense against a very high octane, fast go 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 offense? Because I mean, look at Kent State, man. They that's how they play, and that's going to be another one. And so, it was another question from. Um, from I swear TV, thoughts on the potential Big 12 expansion with corner schools joining? Whee-whee. We got to talk about that. Yeah, we yeah, are, we yeah. we probably talk yeah, about yeah. that Let's in the next segment. talk about that one
0: here in just a second. Um, but as we wrap up this Colorado conversation, I want to ask, and I, I want you guys to jump in the comments and let me know too. Okay. The 2023 cycle, Coach Prime had two really big flips. Dylan Edwards at the running back position and Cormani McLean. Mm-hmm. Which one do you think is the most impactful? In my opinion, I think it's Dylan Edwards because I think Dylan Edwards can come play for you day one and I think make a significant impact on that offense.
1: It's fair. I'm the opposite. I think Kormani McClain is. I think Kormani Clemente- <laughs> McClain can walk out there and start a corner today. I think he's got the the intangibles, the ability. And it's going to be crazy to see him and Travis Hunter either lining up across from each other to practice or lining up on as bookends on that secondary if Tra- Travis decides to go back and play corner. Because uh, Travis is just an athlete. He can play both sides of the ball. He's a great wide receiver. He's a great corner. He can do both. But you put both of them together, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I mean I'm not going to say cancel Christmas, but geez, Louise. <laughs> Imagine that type of talent next to each other, and it grows up together for at least a year. <sighs> next season's going to be I just absurd. want you
0: to—I just want you to realize we really could have Travis Hunter stay till his senior year with Cormani McLean as a sophomore. That Colorado backfield could be insane in year two. Insane, insane. Uh, yeah. But let's kind of talk about this Big 12 expansion a little bit. So we'll start with the news. It sounds like OU and Texas might not be leaving the Big 12 until 2025, which, let's be honest, that's kind of been the news since it started. There's never really been any real confirmation that OU and Texas would leave early. So today, Brett McMurphy uh, put out on Twitter, he says that Oklahoma and Texas and the Big 12 reached an exit agreement for OU and Texas to leave the Big 12 early and join the SEC in 2024, sources told Action Network HQ. However, ESPN and Fox were not satisfied with the overall deal, so that's why it hasn't been completed, source said. No specific deadline yet to get this done. So this interests me, because if you were following this whole situation, and and, and we'll get to the expansion talk here in a second, but I think this is important to mention. Because if Oklahoma and Texas are not leaving this conference, I think it's hard to expand the conference. But if you noticed and you followed this whole situation, the Big 12 was really dragging their feet on releasing the schedules. And you kind of heard the rumors that OU and Texas were kind of getting screwed in this situation, that they tried to make Texas play six road games, like conference road games, which that's ridiculous because that means they have like four home games, uh, and I'm sure that they were trying to do something similar for Oklahoma, but Oklahoma had to give up their home-and-home series with Georgia, and now if they're being told that they have to stay in the Big 12 till 2025, they could have kept that home-and-home series, which would have brought in significant money to Norman and probably significant money to Athens. So I'm pretty sure there's some uh, hard feelings here for Oklahoma and Texas because they're ready to leave and I feel like the Big 12 is ready for them to leave Brett your mark would probably like to see them go so they can just get into this new era of Big 12 uh, football basketball whatever the sports are but this news intrigues me a little bit so Jay what's your thoughts here around Oklahoma and Texas not leaving the conference until 2025
1: it's kind of crazy that, that that's kind of how it's gone. Like the negotiations for the most part has been like Oklahoma, Texas is like, yeah, we'll negotiate, but the contract's not up to this date. SEC starts their new contract on in 2025. So we don't have to, we we can wait. Um, but the fact that they came to an agreement, but then they couldn't agree with the, the TV uh, partners. It's annoying, but at the same time, that's business. You know what I'm saying? That That's kind of how it works. It's, these TV partners are paying these schools for these rights and they have to have their inventory to make order to make their money. And Fox wasn't getting much more much inventory from anybody else that ain't named, uh, Texas or Oklahoma. Like you ain't getting much from anybody else in the big 12. I mean, no shade to everybody else in the big 12. I mean, just keep it real. just keep it a buck. Uh, these are the two most, um, two of the biggest brands in the country and two of the most profitable teams and, uh highest value teams in college football total i mean they're both top 10 you know and oklahoma has spent years between two and uh two and eight as far as bringing in the most revenue so money is with both of these schools you know them in texas and so it's it's unfortunate that they've got to wait but the same time you know kind of like you mentioned pg in our group chat you know i'm saying I'm gonna put you out a little bit but you stated you know we need a little bit more time and i'm totally for that and i think this i think both schools were saying hey we'll gladly leave if you're negotiated but you know if if that's if that's the case we'll stick to the contract and move forward we're not gonna just break the contract and give you money to make you happy we're only gonna do it if it makes us happy we don't care we can go either way and the good thing is is both teams are bringing in these top five classes in recruiting all you gotta do is keep doing that start building up an sec type level of team and be able to go beat everybody but you know and battle it out we're really with georgia and and, and alabama like because the one thing about it you know it's funny a lot of people were trying to jump in comments and say oh that texas and oklahoma are scared they're broke they don't want to leave they don't want to come to sec yet blah 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 they don't want to be mediocre in the sec yeah keep it a buck let's keep it 100 honest um that's not how that works because there's only they're not going to play alabama and georgia every week <laughs> it is literally just the only two schools that are scary, there are Alabama and Georgia. And I like Tennessee. Tennessee's my other team. You're only you're only chasing Georgia and Alabama. Until you pass them, ain't nobody else that really, to me, is uh, that dominant. So, overall, I think it's a good thing for Oklahoma and them to stay around. Um, expansion, I think the Big 12 is going to push for it. They're going to push for trying to get 20. And I could totally see them snatching up the Arizona schools, possibly Colorado and Utah. If, that's the, if there's any schools I'm going for, I'm going for those four, and that's it. I would love Oregon and Washington. It'd be fantastic, but it'd be really hard to convince them to leave. Really hard, because they want to be the bookends of a conference, and they wouldn't be the bookends for a Big 12, unfortunately. So you can try that, or if you decide that you want to go 24 and go ahead and pick up all the big schools up there, you can, but... I don't I don't see I don't see it as a bad thing that, that Big 12 that OU and Texas are staying for two more years. This season go win it, next season go win it, and then you know, go to the SEC on top.
0: Yeah, uh you know, talking about the Big 12 expansion, uh you know, I I've, I've said it. Uh, it would be really smart for the Big 12 right now to go after Colorado because you've got Coach Prime and we know that this contract that Brett Yormark uh, negotiated leaves room for the powers to be to increase the revenue coming to these schools, depending on what schools they bring in. And if Arizona state gets their crap together with Kenny Dillingham and Rashad samples, and then you get a Colorado team that's got their stuff together, uh, you know, which by the way, I think would be a great move for Colorado because yes. they potentially have a chance to cement themselves as a top dominant team in a conference. Uh, I do think if you're the Big 12, though, you have to go after Oregon and Washington because they're two big brands, and I think those two bring money to the program, like bring money to this conference. You know, I don't think you can go out there and get... People have thrown out the idea of potentially going to the Big 10 and trying to snatch Nebraska back. You'd have to surpass $100 million a year to be able to snatch Nebraska back because that's how much those schools are getting right now. Now, 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 as you say that,
1: PG if they were able to win all these schools they're gonna re- that 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 contract with Fox and ESPN probably has some kickers for them to renegotiate and make some changes on that capacity and if they can get those numbers up I don't see why Nebraska wouldn't pass on wouldn't pass an opportunity to do that because then they'd have some more relevance they'd be able to re recruit in Texas something they haven't been able to do since they left and which why they've led into mediocrity um that's that that's a possibility that is a big-time possibility.
0: Oh, yeah. my goodness. Yeah. Well, yes, I mean, I, And you're right. You make a good point there. If Nebraska comes back, you get to reissue your rivalry with Colorado, mm-hmm. which is big. That brings in money, uh, which <laughs> you got Matt Rule, who's, I think, the perfect coach for Nebraska. And you've got Fair. Beyond Sanders at Colorado. It would just make for a lot of good headlines. That would be a headliner game every single year. We'd all look forward to but oh, then yes. you have the chance to go to Big 12 championship games. You'd have the chance to potentially play in playoff games. So even if you're not getting the full 100 million, you'd be getting in the Big 12. You'd probably make over that with incentives and spiffs just for winning conference championships, being a top dog. I don't think you're going to do that in the Big 10, especially with USC and UCLA coming to that conference, I think it's just going to be a lot harder because shoot, even Wisconsin is becoming relevant in that conference. I mean, what they took out of the transfer portal this year, they might be one of the the best teams out of the transfer portal this year. But uh, I think the big 12 has a lot of opportunities. Uh, You know, I think in a perfect world, you take Oregon, you take Washington, you take Arizona, Arizona state, Colorado, and Utah. That would put you at 18 teams. You take those final two spots, and you try to go snag some ACC teams. And I get it. People have talked about this contract with the ACC and the buyout. It's ESPN, man. They can tell them that they're out of their buyout to go be in a conference that's going to make them more money at the end of the day. I think expanding your roots out into the Florida and Miami space, getting those two big brands in there, the Big 12 could potentially try to rival the Big Ten for the second best conference in all of college football at that point,
1: so then you get the logistical issues of trying to figure out how you're gonna do all the scheduling and stuff, and that's kind of where the problems come in. And I think that's where a lot of why the schools have not expanded into these super conferences of twenty plus schools each is it's a it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare to put all that together because remember, the, right now the Big Ten dealing with it. Y'all been paying attention to what the Big Ten's doing is. Exactly, the oversaturation piece. Look at what the problem Big Ten has. The Big Ten West last season was awful. Illinois ended up in the championship game. It was awful because all of the powers on the East, all of your powers on one side, you've got four schools that are considered powers on one side. And sometimes a West school will get lucky enough to not play a single one of those powers. It's honestly what happens with Iowa a lot. They'll have a year where they don't play Michigan, Michigan State, or Ohio State or Penn State, they'll miss all four of those schools. And guess what happens? They lose one game all year. They were like, oh, is Iowa any good? Go look at the schedule. Then you're like, oh, never mind. <laughs> so yeah. if you're not really playing anybody's, yeah, you can cupcake your way through because I'm sorry, the rest of those big ten schools, psh, no.
0: But I think the they big Ten's got four schools, schools that right, are right. They're going it. to the huh? top two teams in the conference now.
1: Yeah, I think they're switching that. They're gonna, yeah, they're gonna switch that to the top two so that they can stop having a West team. But at the same time, you still logistically got to figure out how everybody's gonna play each other. It's gonna still be years. There's gonna be years that they're gonna run into. They're gonna have three teams that could be potentially be, or they have one team that's undefeated, and then they'll have like two or three teams that are like ten and one, right behind each other. How do you beat that? Is there a head-to-head? Did all of them play each other? There's a chance that all of them didn't play each other. You run into so many logistical problems with that. And that's the reason why they ha- you had to have some sort of divisions or pods to try to make it easy and then create a quote-unquote playoff system for a massive conference. That's where the oversaturation comes in. That's where that's going to be a pain in the butt. Cause but think about that. I'm just thinking about this for the SEC. You have 16 teams. You probably need to go into four pods of four. And then play like a team in each pod in some capacity. And in order to really figure out who's going to play in the conference championship game, because there's going to be a couple of teams with similar records. You probably need to put together like a semifinal and a finals.
0: Like a championship that we see in the basketball. Exactly.
1: And it's, that's going to be a pain in the butt. Nobody going to want, we want to see it. Those conferences ain't going to play more football. Kids don't need to be playing more football. No, that's, that's bad wear and tear on their body because then at that point, we're going to get nothing but bad football in the playoffs. Do y'all want bad football? A whole bunch of injured people? No. But it fails a game of attrition.
0: I think that's where playoff expansion has really helped, though, because now going to 12 teams, you have the ability to award conference champions, but then also maybe bring in some of those teams that missed the conference championship that could still compete because I think a 12 team playoff this year. Would have done wonders for the playoffs because you would have had oh, yeah, 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 in there, a Tennessee uh, in there. Uh you you know, maybe you wouldn't have seen a TCU get blown out 60 to 7 or whatever. You would have. Was. You would have. You, you don't think Bama could have reached it or Tennessee could have reached the playoffs and competed? Nope.
1: nope. They're both getting blown out. Georgia was just going to blow out whoever they're going to play in front of this year. It's just, it was just inevitable. It was You're not giving the best matchup thought. for them was Ohio State. And then and that fell apart when Marvin Harrison Jr. got hurt.
0: If only Jackson Smith and Jigba was healthy in that game.
1: There you go. Yeah, there's two. They lost two receivers. Jackson Smith and Jigba didn't play. You had Marvin Harrison Jr. cooking them, and then he got that hit in the back of the end zone and he was done. And so overall, you're going to still get blowouts. It's going to happen. Uh a, a, a team teammate squeak by. But the good thing about the twelve, which I do appreciate as well, is gonna be the twelve, um, is gonna be the playing at home in the first round. Gonna love that. But you I'm also so got the scheduling concept of the bowl games that they're going to do for the second round because now you're getting into winter. College football ain't played in the winter like that. College football stops in the fall. That's why games stop usually in, in November. And then the uh, championship games are the first weekend in December so that you avoid all the snow and the cold. And now we're stuck into that. Like if you've, Especially playing the home games for the first weekend. That could be a logistical problem. They'll figure it out at some point because all college football stadiums are outside uh, specifically because they stopped playing it by Thanksgiving. And then the next round is in bowls games in the South. So they'll be fine at that point. But yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be fun. It's going to be like, like the NCAA tournament, the basketball part me and Ty talked about this uh, earlier today, actually a video that he's got dropping soon is think about it this way with the NCAA tournament, Everybody gets excited that first weekend, right? That's when all the best games are. People that don't watch college basketball at all will sit in front of a television and watch through those games uh, because it's excitement. You have Cinderellas, you have teams that are knock off top seeds, uh, 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 high seeds, and it'd be awesome upsets. Throw my bets, create a bracket, and I'll pick all the mascots, and that's how I'll pick my winner. Blah blah blah. But then once you get to the Sweet Sixteen cream rise to the to the, uh, the creams of the crop rise to the top and you get your traditional one through six seeds in the final four that's gonna be fun
0: weston's got one right here bama would have been in the outback bowl if they'd have played georgia <laughs> probably
1: i don't think bama would have beat georgia this year this year georgia was just a too well old of a machine and Bill O'Brien at the O.C. was just not providing what needed. And the defense wasn't as great as we thought it would have been at Bama. It it's just, not that they would have not, them, but it wasn't they the would year. have put
0: up a better fight. No. Than that, Right?
1: You don't think so? I mean, you, I mean, you saw what Georgia did to them last year, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> My point. And Georgia was better this year, which is wild to say. Now, I think it was more so Stetson Bennett was way more confident. You can see the confidence in him this year way more than you did last year. Last year, he seemed timid. This season, that dude was confident,
0: confident, and because he was so confident, they would have cooked those boys. Georgia's gonna be scary because uh, I don't think a lot of people realize this. That team is young, young. So the who's throwing the rock next year? uh, Say what? Who's throwing the pill next year? That's the only question. I, I, you know, exactly. I don't. I want to see Brock Vandergriff play in spring ball. I want to see what he could potentially do. You don't think he can do it at all?
1: If he ain't done it now, he ain't going to do it. I don't think he's any good. They weren't going to give that job to it. anybody
0: else outside of Stetson Bennett.
1: Why not? Brock was a five-star, right?
0: Was he a five-star? Was he a he high four-star?
1: He was a five-star. Why didn't he get the job?
0: Why didn't he take it? It's Stetson Bennett, man. They Kirby Smart loves Stetson Bennett.
1: You know, Stetson was a walk on at Georgia, left because he wasn't getting a job because JT Daniels took the job and then he came back at,
0: from yeah, Juco because Smart's they lost also Justin the guy Fields. That let Justin Fields walk. So, my point maybe he's not St- a good evaluator of talent. We don't know. Maybe Brock Vandergrip is a star and he's sitting back in that quarterback room. And, you know, I, that's what I'm saying. Like, we really, like, we really don't know because. We have questions about if Kirby Smart and this and Todd Munkin can really evaluate the quarterbacks they have in that room because of what happened with Justin Fields. I mean, they literally
1: brought in a walk-on quarterback and he took everybody's job. I don't know. Maybe they just loved. Brock Stetson was number Bennett. seventeen maybe they in the country. Bennett. I, well, I, I don't sh- think that's a love for Setson Bennett. They brought back Setson Bennett. They convinced him not to go to another school because they lost Justin Fields. Because they just needed depth. They just need another backup. So they gave him a scholarship instead of him walking on this time. And he just ended up going out there now playing everybody. Just saying that Stetson is really good and he's got a lot of moxie and poise and he's really good at at, you know, doing his job. But my, my point is Brock. Well I haven't seen vandergriff And I've been seeing around that people aren't that very high on vandergriff right now.
0: Yeah, I don't know what. We'll see, we'll see what he looks like in the spring game. Maybe he puts it together. You know, we still got to hold out hope for the kid. You know, we don't want to just write the kid off because we don't want him to have another JT Daniels situation and then have, maybe have another Tate Martell story. Uh, that would be kind of crazy to see another five star, uh, literally have to go play for three or four different teams before he can really become a starter or even see the field or maybe not even see the field at all. Right, but they've got others that
1: others in that in that um in that locker room. So they've got some other um, competitors that's going to probably come in there and take some stuff. So, yeah, let, let, let's let's see who's going to throw the peel for them next season. That's what I'm curious about for Georgia before I jump all over. Now, their defense is going to be good, but I'm ready to see who's going to throw the peel first.
0: Listen, with their offensive line and all the Titans that they have, I could probably go play quarterback for them if I could just halfway throw the ball to the tight ends. Yeah. That's, I think, that's all you have to do. You just have to be able to get the ball out of your hands to the Titans, and you're going to be good every time. Because that offensive line is going to give you at least two to three seconds.
1: Yeah, I think Beck is going to be their starting quarterback though next season.
0: Carson Beck's going to be interesting. I think Georgia fans are probably the highest on him. But Georgia's going after Dylan Raiola for 2024. That's going to be interesting to see if they can go out there and land an elite prospect like Dylan Raiola.
1: I mean, they've landed five-star quarterbacks.
0: They haven't landed the best quarterback in the class. Dylan Raiola is one of those prospects. It's like he's almost a can't-miss. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. All right. Well, thank you all for uh, tuning into the PG Show. If you guys haven't already, please go ahead, hit that like and the subscribe button. I think there's over 112 of you on here and only 31 likes. So, listen, we're doing our job. We're talking about college football for y'all. Help us out. It is the offseason. Remember that. It is the offseason. But listen, there's drama all over the place. So uh, we'll be bringing you guys more college football content as it arises, as uh, the dead period wraps up and kids are able to start taking more visits. I'm sure we'll have some more recruiting news on the OU front and the Colorado front. It's going to be qu- pretty quiet for the month of February. So just keep that in mind. Pretty quiet for the month of February. We're in a dead period, but everything's all good. Everything's all good. No need to break out. I believe OU will probably have two or three commitments between March and April. So uh, that's something to potentially keep an eye out for. Uh, Jay, is there anything uh, you want to say to the folks? Tell them where they can find you. Hey, thanks for pulling up, Real Talk. Um,
1: Jay Smith, Unfair Sports. Follow me, uh, similar to PG. I do a lot of OU content, talk a little Colorado, and I go into some college football in general. Um, I've got a few videos that I'm putting together over the weekend that I'll have beginning of next week, probably roll it out over the next few days um just so you know we can get back into the groove of things but like i said we got a dead period coming up things are going to get quiet so for the most part we'll do some player evaluations look at rosters pg does a lot of interviews which are pretty dope great to hear from the players and the recruits and prospects and just kind of get to the personal side of them you know like to see that they're actually human beings and not just uh blobs running around on the football field so it's fun definitely check it out and uh, man, i appreciate it
0: as as usual Yeah, if you guys haven't already, I uh, uploaded a new interview with uh, Michael Patterson-McDonald, a rising 2024 recruit. Currently got an offer from the Oklahoma Sooners, Michigan State, Tulsa, and UNLV, but I expect that he'll probably be getting a couple more offers throughout this month, and then especially uh, in March and April as well uh, when the dead period really comes out of it. Uh, So go ahead, go check that out. And listen, Colorado fans, I haven't forgotten about you. We have a Jordan Dominic interview coming. It's been a little harder to get that one uh, lined out. Listen, uh, Coach Prime is really working those kids hard. So finding some free time with Jordan has been uh, not the easiest, but we're going to get it. We're going to get there. We talk. We text on the daily. So he's going to be coming on the show. So keep your guys' eyes out for that one. Best way to do that, hit the subscribe button. Turn on the noty bell, and you will get – up-to-date information on all of the content that we are putting out there but thank you guys for tuning in peace Deuce. all right spinning wheel of death